Good morning, Southbrook. We're glad you're here with us today, whether you're here in the room or online. Uh, It is the first weekend after Easter, which makes me think uh, of a thing I read not too long ago from N.T. Wright, who he grew up in the Anglican Church and serves the Anglican Church where they celebrate uh, Lent, the 40 days before Easter. And I remember reading him say a thing about how strange he's always found it that in the Catholic Church and churches that celebrate Lent, they celebrate deprivation and suffering for like 40 days and then just one day of a party Uh, and how he's always just kind of felt like that was unequal, unbalanced. And so one of the things he proposes, and I think about it every year and I just want to pass it along to you, is is what if post-Easter we took on this new thing where for 40 days afterwards we practiced new things or we took up some new thing? In the same way we kind of give things up sometimes leading into Easter, what if we had a practice where post-resurrection we lived like that was true, like a little extra for 40 days? And so uh, we want to give you just a few ways that you could maybe consider, like trying something new this spring. Uh, one of the ways is through City Lights, and I want to invite a couple of our City Light City pastors up. Meet Joanne and Joyce, if you want to welcome them up here. They represent Centerville, so I know we pull a ton of people from Centerville, so these are your people, uh, Joanne and Joyce. Uh, We'd love for you to meet them out in the lobby, if that's your community. If you don't know about City Lights, like if you just joined us around the Easter and you're just jumping in, City Lights is our movement uh, to bust out the church doors and represent Jesus in our neighborhoods and our cities and we started it just as the virus was kind of breaking out and you weren't really supposed to be face-to-face with your neighbors. So we're looking forward to the day when we can serve face-to-face and take care of the people around us uh, in a more like bodily way. We're, we're looking for ways that this movement can keep on growing. So especially because we pull so many people from Centerville, if you care about your community, uh, we hope that you'll show up for City Light. So you can also meet them in the lobby and then the other regions are out there every Sunday. Uh, But we want to make sure as we kind of almost relaunch this this spring, as we kind of gear up and amp up for what's coming, that we're covered in prayer. So would you pray with me uh, for Joanne and Joyce this morning? God, we thank you again uh, for the people uh, who, when you ask where are there people to help, they are the people who raise their hand and say, I'm right here. And we thank you for the prodding uh, that you put into the lives of, of Joanne and Joyce and the Centerville team uh, to call them uh, to be your church in a brand new way where they live. And we pray again for them. We just cannot pray enough uh, for more wisdom, for more compassion, that you would help them to see the needs in the neighborhoods around them, that you would help them to build community, that you would help them uh, to be a presence in the places where they are, that they would carry your spirit uh, everywhere they go. And... Uh, God, we just pray that you keep on building this team, uh, keep on blessing this movement, and keep on lighting the path in front of us uh, for what you want Southbrook to do in the days to come. And we thank you for these two folks, and we pray for their good hearts and for the days ahead for them. It's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, all. Uh, You also saw some videos. These are, again, more ways for you to just plug in. Hopefully something about the resurrection story stirs you this year that if Jesus is real, that that, that there's something that you may be called to do. Uh, Maybe you want to join in and help us with Southbrook Serves once a month where you can shop online or you can deliver groceries to families that are in need. Maybe uh, you have students in your life that you care about and you want to be a part of Players Box. We hope that you'll 
You'll look into that. Uh, we also have some resources that we've kind of built up during this time where we're all just on the internet all the time. And so we're trying to see what works. One of those is our Monday weekend hangover where we kind of sit around and talk about the same thing we talk about today, but just in a slightly more conversational way where we hope you'll send in questions and reflections. Uh, you can do that at hello at southbrook.org. You can watch it on Monday at noon or on demand all week. Uh, also, we've been trying to build up our podcast library. This is like, I don't know if you do podcasts, but they're my, one of my favorite things. Uh, you don't have to read anymore. You can just play a podcast. That's your thing. And reading is done. Podcasts are new. So uh, they just kind of fall out of the sky if you subscribe to them. That's how they work. It's magic. Uh, Charlie has one that he does on leadership principles. It comes out every Wednesday. And then I started one with my friend Keaton where we are reading the book of Acts. So if you've never read Acts before, this will hopefully be a way, uh, a fun way to do it because we also talk a lot about breakfast and waffles and stuff like that. So if you're into breakfast, this is your way into the Bible. That's, that's our sneaky trick that we're trying. comes out every Tuesday. So again, if you haven't done podcasts, it's a huge resource for just learning and listening. And we hope that we've, we've offered you a little bit there. I want to also say, if you came in, there's a lot of, we got a lot of business to do here today. Uh, if you came in here and there was a flashlight around you, somewhere on the seats around you, uh, we just kind of randomly placed them in the crowd. But if you see a flashlight around you, we're going to ask you here in a minute to be a part of a song with us. You don't have to sing or play guitar. Uh, all you have to do is if there's a flashlight around you, at some point during the song that's about to play, you just have to hit the bottom on the bottom of the flashlight and shine it up at the ceiling. And I promise that that will make sense. Uh, it doesn't right now, but I promise that it will eventually make some good sense. So grab a flashlight if there's one on the seats around you and help us make a moment. Now, we are in this series where we're talking about this, these big giant ideas. We're talking about what if this Jesus story is real and Jesus is the Christ and does hold the world. Uh, what does that do with the big conversations that we often have uh, with our friends or in our own heads uh, about the giant questions about being people? And what does that mean for people who maybe don't believe in a God? How do they answer those same questions and how can we have a conversation? And so this weekend is about pain. It's a, it's a painful weekend. And I just want to say, there are certain times where it is more important than ever to just kind of show our cards, uh, that we're all kind of coming into this room and into this conversation through different doors, that some of you maybe came in and there's a, you have chronic pain or you have a pain right now, uh, or you're struggling with depression, anxiety, we know those are on the rise right now. Maybe you come in and you have, like your pain resume is long. Uh, we just want to say a few things about that. One is that I feel like it's necessary sometimes for me to show my own pain resume and to let you know where I'm coming from. And, and this has been, I've, I've told this story a few times in a few different ways, but every once in a while it's just helpful for me to remind you this is where I'm coming from today, which is that I, I had to bury both of my parents last summer. Uh, my dad died on July 1st and my mom died shortly after on August 6th. And so I am still in grief over that, obviously. And also, even more than that, the thing I've been learning a lot about is just the trauma of caregiving and how the few years of being responsible for them, uh, just what that has done to my nervous system. And I tell you that just so you know, that's, that's my resume. I feel like I need to show that to you right now. That's everything I'm saying comes from that place today. But also I say that because when we talk about things uh, like this, sometimes it's just important for us to say, you may need to call in other experts. Because uh, we're talking about this from a scriptural, a theological angle, but we know that some of you may need to manage that pain, so you may be in conversation with 
uh, doctors or, or medical professionals. We know that some of you, who that, that pain is emotional. You may be in, in counseling and you may be in conversation with those kind of experts. And I also want to affirm that I had to sit down this week with experts and talk through what trauma does and what it's done to my nervous system. And I had to call on the experts on that uh, this week. And so we hope that if that's a part of your story, that, that we're just one voice, maybe in a team of people or a choir of people that you're listening to about the pain that you're in. And we know the pain can also be relational. We have counseling for that. We know it can also be global. It can be communal, that it can, it can live in, in cities and in people. And so we just want to recognize that. Uh, the great civil rights leader, Ruby Sales, says that one of the best ways you can start a difficult conversation is to just say to somebody, where does it hurt? Because almost everybody has an answer to that question. And that if you want to do the good work in this world, you'll start your conversations that way by just asking someone, where does it hurt? And for myself, uh, I don't know about you over this last year, there have been times where I've been like standing in the grocery store line or I've been at the dog park or I've just been in the company of strangers and I, my pain right now feels sometimes like a secret. And sometimes it's like a source of shame almost. But sometimes it also feels like a, like a superpower. Like I'm standing there and I think nobody knows like what I've been through. Nobody knows like what I'm surviving right this minute. And on my better days, I think, well, that's not just true for me. That's true for every other person in this grocery store. That's true for every person in this room, that almost every person, if you ask them, where does it hurt? They have some kind of answer to that. One of my favorite books is not really a Christian book by any means. It's just a science fiction book. It's called The Illumination by a guy named Kevin Brockmeyer. And in this book, he imagines that some um, switch has been flipped in the universe. And one night, for no reason, uh, if, if people have any pain in their body, it suddenly lights up. That if you fell and broke your arm that day, there was now like a ray of light shooting out of your arm. And he talks about how if people had like depression or anxiety or grief, that there would be like a light aura just all around them. And, and he talks about the effect that this has on the world. That at first when it happens, people are a little more compassionate, they're a little more sensitive because they can, the people's pain is just visible. But then he says in the book that people start to develop new rules so that you now know, like when you walk through the office, that you're supposed to not notice that somebody's guts are just like lit up with cancer inside them or that they have a migraine that day or that they're carrying all their pain right there in their right shoulder and that people build rules for just kind of ignoring the pain of the people around them. And it's, it really is a beautiful book, but I bought it really just because the question on the back cover uh, just earned my $12.99 for the book. It just said on the back cover, what if the most painful thing about your life is also the most beautiful thing about your life? When the day is alone in the night you've had 
of this life I hang on Don't let yourself go Cause everybody cries And everybody hurts Sometimes Don't throw Amen. As a, uh, a sad kid in the 90s, that speaks many of my love languages to hear that song today. Because uh, everybody has an answer to the question, uh, where does it hurt, I, I just want to say that it's always true, but it feels even more true on weekends like this, that 
um, even though I have the microphone, I know I'm not the one who knows the most about this, that I thought what would be even better is for us to just make a list of the things that we all know. Because some of you may know more than me, and I just want to name some of the things that I think we all kind of understand and know about pain before we get to the stuff we don't know. I want to just start with what we know. One of the things we know about pain is that pain gets our attention. Uh, as C.S. Lewis says, it is a megaphone. Uh, pain gets our attention. Uh, if you know this is true if you've ever been just like sitting around uh, a group of people and somebody starts to talk about their battle scars, like the things that are on their body, the wounds they have. A lot of times it's from like being a little kid and the things that happen and you have whole stories around these things. You, you can just describe any regular day when you were a kid, but you can describe the day you got hurt, right? Uh, I have memories deeply built into my brain of the time when as a little kid, uh, I tried to catch myself because I was falling and I put my hand on a kerosene heater. And it wasn't smart. It wasn't the greatest thing I've done. And so I have scars on my wrist from, putting, from burning my hand on the kerosene heater. But I remember that day more than a lot of other days in my life. I, I also have a lot of memories of, of the day when I was in eighth grade. I was playing soccer and I went to kick a ball and it was co-ed soccer and two boys fell on my leg in opposite direction. And just, man, my knee started doing like this, which is not the way a knee is supposed to go. And I have a lot of memories of that day and of the time after that when my knee was all lit up with pain. And it's not even just true that we remember the story around our battle scars, but our body remembers those things. Uh, early on in the pandemic, uh, I got a toothache and realized I needed a root canal, which was not super convenient in the early days of the, of the pandemic, but I made my way to a secret dentist and I, I, um, I got in there and uh, the first thing that they said to me was, did you ever have any like trauma to your mouth when you were a kid? And I said, well, when I was in eighth grade playing soccer, I think the lesson here is I shouldn't play soccer. Um, <laughs> But I took a, a soccer ball to the mouth and I had like octagons all around my mouth. And at the time I had braces. And so the soccer ball hit the braces and just mangled my face, which if you know anything about the eighth grade, that's not a, not a great time to have your face, face mangled. Uh, but what she said is that that's probably why you need a, a root canal in the year 2020 is because I, I, your body remembers, right? There's a book, your body keeps the score and we're learning all kinds of things about the way that our body remembers the things that hurt. Uh, not just the story, but it gets buried deep down in us. And we know this even as adults, right? That the things that are painful, that's just the fun physical stuff that happens that wounds us. But we know that there are deeper emotional scars from the things that happen as, that were kids that we don't forget, that, that live in our body. Why we, why we want people to just love us a little bit more. Why we want to succeed. Why we do some of the things we do. Why we have defense mechanisms in place. That all of that is our body remembering the things about our life that have been painful. And because pain is so loud and because it gets our attention and because it becomes these defining moments, another thing we know is that pain presents us with some choices. And one of the things that it, it offers us is the choice whether we're going to let it isolate us or connect us. Sometimes when something hurts, whether physical, emotional, relational, communal, what pain can do is separate us, that it draws us in. We think, well, nobody can understand this, so I'll just hide it. Uh, I'll be honest, one of the things I've struggled with over this last year is all this conversation when people start to say, well, it's been a really hard year for everyone. And like a thing kicks in in my gut, like, no, I've had it I had it worse, right? And maybe you've done that too. Like pain can become like this competition 
Uh, and that can separate us from other people because we think, well, my pain is different or it's better or it's more special than somebody else's pain. And so pain becomes this thing that separates us. And it's also true that sometimes when somebody else is hurting, we separate from them because we're unsure what we're supposed to do. So we distance ourselves and we let them stay by themselves in the shadows with their pain. But we know that pain can also connect us. And again, we're learning more and more about this. Uh, If you've ever looked into epigenetics, it's this really fascinating thing that social scientists are just now learning just about how much our pain connects us. Uh, they, they studied Holocaust survivors and learned how so much of what they went through buried itself in people's DNA and was passed on through generations. It's true uh, about addiction and about poverty, and, and it can be true in families on a micro level, but it can also be true on a macro level across entire communities, that there's pain, there's trauma that can hide itself in our genetics and keep on going through us, and it bonds us. But there's a good way that bonds us as well, that pain can kind of bring us together. Uh, If you ever uh, have tuned into our weekend hangover on Mondays, you've met, uh, we have a special guest that shows up on our weekend hangover once in a while, uh, which is my dog, Archie, Uh, because there he is. Uh, He really likes a good Zoom meeting, and so he likes to pop up on weekend hangover and answer deep theological questions. Uh, And I don't know if you can tell from the picture, but Archie is only 10 pounds and he just got to 10 pounds. It's a real milestone for him. Uh, he's very little uh, and clearly very cute. And uh, he has taught me many, many things. Uh, one of the things that he has taught me is early on in our days together, uh, Archie figured out uh, that uh, he, he would jump on my lap every time my phone rang. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure this out. Like, is, it, is he just startled because he's a sheepdog and he startles real easily? But I figured out that what he was responding to is that especially when I was away from my parents while I was caregiving for them, if my phone rang, every time I would react as if the worst thing had happened on the other end of the phone. And that my dog, this little 10-pound sheepdog, had figured out that he needed to try to calm me down when the phone rang. Like to this day, if my phone rings, he immediately jumps, tries to jump on my lap and tries to get me to pet him to calm down. And I figured out that, like, I just started thinking about this. Like, if I'm emitting stress just to this little dog, like, how much more do we do that with our fellow humans? Something stresses us out, and it becomes, it transfers. Uh, Richard Rohr says this brilliant thing about if you don't transform your pain, you will end up transmitting it. And I I just think that we have to kind of sit with that, right? That, That if I'm sending that out to my dog just when the phone rings... What else are we passing off to each other when something is painful? But I'll just say this about Archie. The other thing he's taught me is that he fearlessly runs towards pain. Uh, That he never took that as a sign to hide or to get away from me. That every time he sensed that I was stressed, he ran towards me. And many of you, if you have a dog, you know they just, they just do this, right? And if you're not a dog person, I'm just really sorry. Um, you, You should be. They, they, they know everything about grace and we know nothing uh, is what I'm figuring out. That he, he does a thing that's opposite from us. He doesn't sit back and go, well, I wonder what I should, should I send a casserole? Like he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't do that. He just intuitively moves towards pain and it has bonded us. And if we don't transform our pain, uh, we will transmit it. That's our, our choice when pain comes, right? Is I can either... Let it isolate me or I can let it connect me. 
We have another choice, and again, these are things that I imagine all of us know, and all of us can tell our story about this. One of the other things we know is that when pain shows up, we have a choice whether we bury it or whether we express it, whether we deal with it. That we have that choice in front of us to be pain deniers, pain barriers, or to be pain people who express the pain is happening and we deal with it. Barbara Brown Taylor says this smart thing. She says it just about sadness, but I think you could fit in there suffering of any kind or grief or pain. You could fit it into this sentence. She says, sadness doesn't sink a person. What sinks us is all the energy we spend trying not to feel the sadness. I think we, I think we know this. I just want us to say it out loud. We have a tendency in our world, as my friend Ben says, to suppress and advance. Many of us are taught that with pain. We suppress and advance. And we, and we know this, that we, as a society, we are literally addicted to painkillers, right? That what maybe started as just a, an attempt to bury pain can often become a, a deadly addiction. And even for all those numbers, on top of that would be all the numbers of those of us who maybe we're not addicted to painkillers, but we're addicted to pain numbers, to pain deniers, to anything that makes us feel something other than the thing that we probably should feel. Because if I'm scrolling, I don't feel a thing. If I'm drinking, I don't feel a thing. Or if I'm on my eighth rewatch of Parks and Rec, I don't, I don't feel a thing. But I think we know, I don't have to say it, but I'll say it, that pain acknowledged, pain expressed, is the only way that pain can become alleviated. That we need to go towards our own pain and towards the pain of each other. Well, my dad had to have a biopsy on his lungs and it was a really painful procedure and he had several days after where he was in pain and I'm, I'm trying to like find any way to help him. So I'm looking online for like pain management and how to like coping mechanisms and breathing things and all this stuff and I, I came across this study uh, that was done by these British scientists who brought a bunch of people together to a lab and they had people, they were doing an experiment about pain management and pain threshold. And the way that they conducted the study is that they had people just stick their hands in ice. And half the people, when they stuck their hands in ice, the minute that it started to hurt them, they were allowed to cuss. Like, I don't know if you guys know, but there are, we're in a church, so you probably don't know about it, but there are certain words people say <laughs> sometimes. I don't, you, don't, you guys don't know about them, but ask your friends and they'll tell you what they are. And there were some people that if they put their hand in ice, they were allowed to cuss and like express, this hurts. And then there were other people who were not allowed to cuss. They had to say made up cuss words. And because it was a British experiment, the words were twiz pipe. That was one of the words that they made up that you were allowed to scream. And fouch, which is a different F word. They would say fouch. And then, so then they kind of studied like the, the pain threshold of the people who cussed and the people who said made up cuss words. And what they found uh, is that the people who were allowed to freely cuss and use the proper F word, uh, they were able to manage the pain. That they had a higher pain threshold that they could keep their hand in the ice for a longer amount of time. And my dad was very grateful for this study. <laughs> and um, he, put it, he put, it to great, put it to great use. Um, I don't know if you've ever been told to cuss in church, but science says um, uh, you could, I, we could, we could whole, we could make this more holy because uh, one of my favorite writers, Frederick Buechner, he's, he kind of puts it in this, in this frame. He talks about the parable of the talents, 
uh, which is a, a story that a lot of us know. We think about it as like a, a, a story about money that Jesus tells, because it is about money. Jesus says there was this business owner who gave three of his employees some capital uh, while he was away, and he said, go, go multiply this money. And so two of the people go out and they spend the money. They invest it, they trade it for something else, and so they multiply the boss's money. And then one person just goes and they want to keep the money safe, so they just bury it. And, and Jesus says, oh, you should, the things that you're given are meant to be spent, invested, and traded. They're not supposed to be buried. And Frederick Buechner has this idea. He says, what if this is not just a story about money, but what if it's a story about pain? That whatever pain you've been given, you're supposed to spend it, invest it, give it away. That you're supposed to tell your story, that you're supposed to find a way to serve the world through whatever pain you have, and that it might become something different. It might be transformed instead of just being buried in the dirt. These are things, again, that I think we all kind of know, that pain gets our attention, that it can either isolate us or connect us, and that we can either bury it or we can express it. We can deal with it. But what we don't know, usually, is why. Why pain? And maybe we could trace our pain, like if I fall down and my arm breaks, I know it's because I fell down. Like on a micro level, we can figure out the pain. Sometimes even in our counseling or in our conversation with friends, we can sort out some of our emotional pain. We can trace it back. We can answer the small why. But we, we wonder, and maybe you've been in conversations with people who this is like a, this is like a battle for them in faith that, that they cannot reconcile a, a painful world with a good God. Like on a big scale, they want to know why is the world not painless? Why wouldn't God just make it so that if you fell down, your arm didn't break? Or what if like that soccer ball hits you in the face and you don't end up with a mangled eighth grade face? You end up with like, you're just, you end up looking like Julia Roberts after that soccer ball hits you, right? <laughs> Maybe some people might ask that question. And what I want us to hear is that God very, he doesn't really ever give a why, he always gives a how. And I want us to be careful with this because a lot of times, even our attempts to answer the why have sometimes caused people more pain. Sometimes we tell people, well, there's a, there's a reason, there's a lesson in this pain, there's something you're supposed to get out of it, and then on top of dealing with the pain, people have to solve the riddle, and it just gives more work to them in their pain. So I want to be careful with that. I also want to say that there are people who've spent volumes of ink on this question, and there are even some really good answers there are some things that work. If you're the skeptic or you're across the table from the skeptic, we could, we could talk, we could spend some time talking about how a, a God who wants people to love freely can't, can't prevent pain, a God who wants us to be free in the world and to choose the good things of the world freely can't avoid pain, that, that the freedom we have is also cause for our pain. There's a lot of good attempts at answering that question of why, but I find that they're not always very comforting to people in real pain that there's not really an answer to the riddle. And I want us to just know, again, that what God often provides is not a why, but a how. And I want us to hear that Scripture itself does not bury pain. Scripture does not suppress in advance. That Scripture itself, in every story, somebody is spending, investing, trading pain. When I was that eighth grade kid with the bum knee and the, and the mangled mouth, like, I, as an eighth grader, read Lamentations 3, which that might be the weirdest thing I did as a middle schooler, was that I read Lamentations 3. It's this book in the Old Testament Bible that's just a young prophet, like, complaining, just crying out. 
And actually, Lamentations 3, we, we sang a song last week called Great is Thy Faithfulness, and that passage comes out of Lamentations 3. But most of Lamentations is a crying out of just how painful the world feels. There's actually a verse in Lamentations 3 where the young person says, I often feel like God is just grinding my teeth into the gravel. Scripture does not hide pain. It very often expresses it. And it was such a comfort to me to find that, even as a kid, that, that Scripture doesn't hide from pain. It expresses it. And that God doesn't provide a why but a how. And then I got into the Psalms, and if you get into the Psalms, there are all these people just screaming fouch uh, into the air. Like, like most of the Psalms deal with some kind of lament, giving expression to pain. Sometimes the psalmists are crying out at themselves because they've caused their own pain. Sometimes they're crying at God. They're wondering why God is hiding. Sometimes they're crying at their enemy because someone else has caused pain in their life. Sometimes they're crying because their people are hurt and the people they love are in pain and that's what causes them to cry out and cuss at the sky. There's pain in the gospels. All these people parade their lit up bodies, their painful bodies to Jesus asking for help. But getting into Acts for this podcast, I, I get to this story in, in Acts 3 where there's a guy who needs healing and it turns out that he's been at the temple every day, which means that at some point, he's, Jesus has gone by him. He's still dealing with his hurts. And Jesus himself, if in this sort of post-Easter season, we remember that he shows up and he goes to meet his disciples and he shows them his wounds. Whatever our post-resurrection bodies look like, they still have our battle scars. He says, this is where the, the sword went through. This is where the nail went through. This is where they beat me. Jesus still carries his wounds with him. They are part of who he is. And when Jesus is trying to prepare his, his friends for the day when he won't be with them anymore, what he says to them in John 14 is that I'm going to send a spirit that will be with you. This is your how. This is how you're going to make it through the world. There will be a Holy Spirit that he calls a paraclete, which means one who comes alongside you. The other word we use for that sometimes is a counselor. I would also maybe even use Shetland sheepdog. And then Paul comes along and Paul does what he does, right? He's got all these stories of Jesus. He's got all these encounters in the church and he's got all this, this wild things that have taken place and what he tries to do is to make some order out of it. But he can't really answer the why. For himself, he says, all I can tell you is that God has shown up and been strong when I am weak. He says he even has a thorn in his flesh. He has some chronic pain that causes him like a constant light in his life. And then we get to this passage in Romans 5, this is the one that Charlie put on the planner for this weekend to talk through pain. And I want us to just see this. Again, all of Romans is about Paul trying to make order out of grace to like give words to this wild thing called grace. And he says this, he's talking through uh, grace and he says one of the things about grace is that because of grace, we should end up boasting in our sufferings, he says. And not only that, we should know that our suffering produces endurance. Our endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And that this hope does not disappoint us. He says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through that Holy Spirit, that counselor, 
that has been given to us, the God in us, will show up in our sufferings. And again, there have been loads of books written about this passage, and we could break this down, what each of these phrases means, but I'd rather just tell you a story about this passage. When my parents were first uh, diagnosed uh, with the things that eventually took their life, I started making trips. Uh, I was living in Cincinnati at the time, and I would make trips two or three times a week from Cincinnati to Columbus to just do whatever I could do for them during the day. And on a lot of times I would try to go, especially when they had doctor's appointments. And so one day I drove up from Cincinnati to Columbus and we went to the neurologist. And that was the day that we found out my mom had Alzheimer's. And if, if, if we could have been, we would have been just lit up in pain that day. It was a painful day. And, and I saw in my mom's face that she was registering this. She understood what was happening. And I saw in my dad's face that he understood it. And, um, we did the things we do for comfort, which is to go eat breakfast at Bob Evans and uh, that made us feel a little bit better, and we sat on the porch for a while and, and just tried to absorb the hit, you know? And I, got, I drove back home to Cincinnati, and what would happen a lot of times at the end of these days, you would think I'd be tired, I'd go to bed, but a lot of times at the end of those days, I was so, like, keyed up. Like, I was so on edge, and there was so much to process. And because I was living downtown, I would end up just, like, walking around the city, just for hours, just trying to like sort this out. And on this particular day, I ended up uh, in Fountain Square, downtown Cincinnati. If you've ever been there, I, I just sit there. It's the middle of the night and I'm just sitting there and I think, well, I'm just gonna feel something else for a minute so I get my phone out. And I, I'm like, I guess I'll do some emails, right? Suppress in advance. So I open up my emails and I just think, I'll just answer an email or two. And I get this random email from a person that I'm only loosely connected with. Like, I've done a couple projects with this person, but I don't have any regular contact with him. I just get this email from this person. It's so, it's so bizarre to me that he sent me this email that the next day I wrote to him and said, I don't know if you meant to send this to me, but if you were trying to encourage somebody else, I think you should know it came to me instead. So you might want to write that person you probably meant to send this to. But the passage that he sent to me was Romans 5. So that night, in the center of Cincinnati and Fountain Square, I read that, that grace will match our suffering and that our suffering produces endurance and that our endurance produces character and that our, our character will produce this hope that will never disappoint us. And I have to say that not, not every day had magic to it. Not every day had that. Like some days, I, it was just so painful and it was so painful for my parents. There are days that I can't even like voice yet, right? But every once in a while, there was enough grace to meet the suffering. And there was a hope that never shamed me. And I just want you to know, because I've been across the table, I know that for so many of us, pain is the thing that causes doubt. And, and I, when I'm across the table from somebody who feels that way, when the world is too painful, or they've, they've watched someone they love go through something so horrible, uh, and when the pain in their own body is so much that they just can't believe in a God, I, I get it. And I never try to answer them with a why. But what I will often say back is that in all honesty, and I say it even today right now in the middle of the things I'm going through, uh, that the most painful things in my life are very often the reason I do trust God. Because the grace has met the suffering every time. 
and that God has never provided me a why, but God has always provided me a how. And I don't want to just tell my story. I want to finish on one other story that I love in Scripture, which is the story of Elijah. And if you want to go back and, and read the whole thing, it's back in the, back in the early pages in 1 Kings. And Elijah is this great person of God who finds himself in a battle. It's, it's Elijah on this side uh, with Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Deborah and Ruth. And then over here, there are the people who worship Baal and Asherah and all these other gods. And they find themselves in like a, a God off, like a God battle. And both groups of people, Elijah by himself, and then all these Baal worshipers, they're praying to God, trying to get their God to send fire out of the sky. And just so you feel good about things, the God of Elijah, the God that we're all here for, that God wins the contest. Fire comes down when Elijah praises God. And fire never comes for the other guys. And it becomes a military battle. Like, because this God is more victorious and more powerful, Elijah ends up being able to advance uh, the people of God and to have a military victory, and he slays his enemies. And he has, it's this big, giant victory. The, the God in the sky is real. The God in the sky has now become the God who provided a fire for him. And the next day, Elijah prays out loud that his life would be taken from him. He's done. It hurts it hurts too much to be in the world. And I just want us to pay attention to what God gives Elijah in this moment. Because God shows up, the grace meets the suffering. But God does not give Elijah a why. God doesn't explain, here are the five reasons why this had to happen this way and why the world hurts the way it does. God provides Elijah, in this order, a nap. God lets Elijah rest for a while. And when Elijah wakes up from his nap, God provides a snack. Elijah needs to eat some cake, and God provides him a cake. And then it's, it's really noisy in the world. There's all these weather things happening. There's chaos. There's a storm. And God, in the middle of the storm, provides Elijah some quiet. And then lastly, God provides Elijah a friend. Shortly after the story, Elijah, who's been carrying a literal mantle on his shoulders, the burden of being a prophet of God, he meets a younger man named Elisha, and he shares part of his burden with Elisha, and they work together for a while, and it's this moment of surrender for Elijah where he realizes he is not by himself in his pain. God does not provide Elijah with a why. He provides him with all the hows. These are all the things, incidentally, that people are now figuring out are good for you when you're in trauma. Rest, sustenance, silence, support, friendship. And I want us to hear that the only thing I know about pain is wherever it comes from, however it gets here, that it is always an invitation to the presence of God, to the grace of God, and when other people's pain shows up, it is always an invitation to the people of God to show up for them. And that we are very often each other's how. Let's pray together through Romans 5. God, for this minute, we want to sit with Paul and absorb your grace.
God, help us to know that we have peace and grace to match whatever pain it is we bring to you today. We boast, even in this moment, of the things that hurt us. We think, even right now, of the things that are hurting people we love. We name, even right now, the things that are hurting in our community, in our world. Where does it hurt God? Everywhere. We pray that these words might become true, that we would be people who endure, that we would be people of character, and that we would know a hope that never disappoints. God, come as our counselor and our comfort. God, invite us towards you and towards each other. Turn what hurts us into light. In Jesus, who bears the wounds, we pray. Amen.